Welcome to the Be Inspired podcast. We explore the stories of people who may be like you. These are your neighbors, family members, and friends. The people you may think that you know, but you have never heard the details of their life story, their successes, failures, and the people who have influenced them. Be inspired by their passion to pursue their dreams and join me as we discover and learn from people who are a quiet, supportive presence in our world. Join the journey to create your individual path to be inspired and have a well-lived life. Art takes many forms and utilizes several mediums. Speaking with artists is one of my favorite pastimes. They see our world in so many unique ways. I love to see how their personal creative expression takes shape. Educated as an interior designer, Sabrina found herself with a door full of tiny glass beads left over from projects she had become disinterested in. She decided to utilize these art supplies in a new way. Much like stained glass, her creations reflect light and utilize color to express depth. So sit back and relax as she shares her talent and aspirations with us. When you were young, what were some of the influences that you had as a child that you realized you had this artistic or, as I would say, a design talent? How did that come about for you, that realization? Um, well, when I was a kid, I loved art class, and the only class I ever got good grades in was art. Um, but I also kind of had it in my head that I couldn't be an artist. I mean, it, it was the, the notion that if you're an artist, you're a starving artist. And, and not that my parents put that in my head at all because they were very supportive. Um, but it was um, just kind of a societal thing. You know, in the 70s and 80s, like, if you're an artist, you're a starving artist. But I didn't kind of take it seriously. I, I, I loved it and I enjoyed it, but I did, it wasn't something I looked at as a viable career. But I did want to do something with my creativity. So I got into advertising and marketing and um, did that for several years, um, about 10 years. You know, looking back, I wish I would have grasped onto my art love earlier, but I kind of didn't realize it and early enough. You know, it was one of those things where I couldn't pin it down to anything specific, so I didn't kind of follow through with anything. As I got older, it was, you know, life, marriage, kids. did get out of the advertising and marketing world when I was in my late 20s, decided to go back to school, and really asked myself the question. I was, I was really blessed with the opportunity to take some months off and not work. My son was in preschool, my husband was working, and I was able to just stay home and really ask myself, what do I want to do, and where do I want to be, what do, you know, what's going to be, what's my path, and um, architecture had actually been a love of mine since forever, but I didn't 
want to get into it because I hate math. <laughs> 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 it, was, it was one of those, like, killed noise. Back when I was growing up, architecture was very much a man's thing. It was a man's world. And I was a little intimidated by that, but it was more the math that kept me away from it. So I went into interior design, realizing and asking myself the question that if I won the lotto and money were not an issue for me, what would I do with my time? And, you know, after you go on the vacation around the world and you, you know, buy all the new houses and whatever, you know, like after six months, well, how would I want to spend my time? So my love of architecture came in and I, I decided to get into interior architecture. And I went back to school and, and learned how to design and how to draw and how to, how to build and create. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Um, and having a marketing background was incredibly helpful because I understood that everything that I designed, I had to sell. I had to sell to the person I was designing it for. I had to sell it to the world because if you design in a bubble, nobody's going to know about it. Yeah. And my marketing background really came into play, but it also meshed really well with the design of it. Like, I mean, my projects in design school were over the top, kind of considered over the top. I mean, my instructors loved it. My fellow students hated it because it was, <laughs> they were always very above them. And in my mind, I was like, you know, I can't just design this. I have to sell it and design it. And I carried that kind of through my design career. My marketing and advertising time was not wasted. And it, it really kind of helped me in, in when I was doing interior architecture for years. While I was doing that, I was gaining the confidence to own my designs and sell them. You know, when you're selling someone else's product, it's different. It's easy to be confident because it's not yours. But when you're selling your own ideas and your own passions and your own thoughts, it's different. And so, you know, I, I kind of, it kind of gave me the confidence to be able to do that. I started playing with art again um, in a fun way and just stress relief. You know, I had two young kids at that time and, and it was my evening thing. You know, I would get out some watercolors and play with that. I would get out the acrylics and play with that. And I had taught art, art techniques to my, to my students. Like I had, I had taught and I had learned them when I was in design school. And, but it's different when you're doing architectural renderings and perspective drawings and things. So a lot of the principles are the same. Elements and principles are the same, but the way you apply them is, is different. There's not a, there's not as much freedom. I started exploring the freedom of those, and that was, oh, I guess about 13, 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. Doing it, like I said, it kind of as a stress relief, and I lo always loved art supplies, and I always bought them even if I didn't know what they were and didn't need them. And, uh, yeah. and so I just, you know, I just played with it and started exploring at that point. I'm really interested in how you landed 
with glass mosaics and utilizing the glass beads as a medium, mostly because okay. it's not a typical art medium that right. it's it's not a mainstream art medium, I guess is the way I would phrase that. It's it's a different type of thing. And honestly, until I had seen your work, I had never seen anything like your work. Was this something yeah. that you came up with as an idea and just started exploring it and seeing what you could do with it? Or was it something that you saw and became exposed to from another artist and decided to make it, you know, make it your own? H- how did you end up working with this medium? When I was exploring mediums, you know, I, I went through the acrylics and the watercolors and the oils and and um, and I loved building models, doing really anything with my hands. I'm, I'm a builder at heart, and yeah. so I love working with my hands. So I just played with all the different mediums, and I got into jewelry. Making. So I had found some beads on clearance, and and I started making some jewelry, and um, I. I enjoyed it for a little while, but then it kind of wore, which most everything did. I would I'd play with it for a few months, and then I would move on to something else. I had a bunch of seed beads left over because I tried um, bead weaving and embroidery and all that stuff. And it was just very structured for me, and I, I, I don't do well with... My husband says I, I can't cook from a recipe because I don't like somebody telling me what to do. So, <laughs> it's very true. Like I'm like ah, I need to follow a recipe. Grab this and this and this, and which, which is why I'm not a good cook. Yeah. Um, I I don't enjoy cooking. I don't like to cook, and so but you know my life is kind of like that. Like I've kind of always kind of gone my own path. And, and not done it the normal way. When I tried those those techniques, the traditional bead type of things, I hated them. They were the patterns were hard to follow. They were hard to understand. I watched videos. I bought books, and and I just I think it was just too structured for me. And so I had all these beads left over, and you can't throw them away, you know, because they're pretty and they you know they don't even cost that much really. But then I had them left over. And at the time, we had just moved to Charlotte, where I live now. Um, this was about nine years, eight, or, yeah, eight, nine years ago. I wanted to do stained glass, but I didn't have the funds and I didn't have the space. You know, stained glass with all the cutting and things, you know, you need space to do that. And we were in an apartment at the time, and I had two small dogs. And my kids were already older at the time, middle school, and one had graduated from high school. So... I was like, well, I can't do stained glass, but I have all these beads left over. I wonder if I could do something that looks like stained glass using beads and wire that I had left over. So I that's really how it started. I had these little four-inch blocks that I had gotten on clearance somewhere. I grabbed the wire, and I thought, you know, instead of lead, I could run the wire in the shape that I want and then fill it in with the beads. The wire was an utter failure doesn't like to do what you want it to do once you bend it and stuff. It, it, it didn't work very well. But the concept was good. And and I knew when I did the first one, even though, and I still have it, and it looks like a five-year-old did it, it was a good concept. And, and I thought to myself, you know, if I could get this to work, it would be kind of cool. And yeah. I would not only use these beads up, but wow, I don't even 
have to have a window to put this in front because it looks good the way it is. And so I just started exploring and I would go to the craft stores and find anything that was long and skinny that I could replace the wire with without going to lead and, and the leading that you use in stained glass. And a lot of it was cost-driven. I didn't have the, the funds at the time. And so I would just look at things like leather and, uh, you know, leather strips and shoelaces and yarn and plastic lacing. And, like, I mean, I tried everything that was long and skinny until I found something that worked and then just kept exploring and kept buying beads and kept exploring. <laughs> and then it, it just turned into what it is now, which is, you know, eight years later, and I'm like, that's all I do is play with beads all day. <laughs> yeah. And it was hard to find people that did what I do. It was, when I first started, it never even occurred to me to find somebody else that did that. It was such an experiment, and it was so organic, and it was so play that I never thought that, you know. And then after a couple of years, I was like, well, someone else has to be doing this, like, I can't be the only person that does this. And and it was tough. I did find people, but it was tough. Let's start with what your compositions are about. You, your compositions are nature oriented, and so you Mostly have nature oriented. Yeah, yeah, so you have a a variety. You have animals, and you have mm-hmm. landscaped scenes, and you have flowers, and then of course at this point you you've moved into things that are what I feel more abstract or color driven type of pieces. But when I look at what you've done, the thing that kind of catches my eye is how the light reflects off of the different colors of beads in the composition Uh of your pieces. Is that something that you've learned how to accentuate as you've done this over time? Because it really, it gives each piece a much more realistic effect. Like when I first saw a photograph of one of your pieces. I thought it was just a photograph. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, you know, I was just flipping through on social media and I saw um, one of your animals that you had done and I thought, oh, that's a great picture. And then it hit me what it was. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, this is beads, <laughs> you know. But I really think the reason, the reason I thought that was just because of the reflection of the light off of the composition and so is that something that you've practiced over time and to get better at is that something you think about when you're putting your pieces together well it is now and it's really interesting that you bring up the light aspect because when i did find other people working with beads everything was very linear in that even though they weren't sewing beads down, they were gluing them like I was, they still glued them in straight lines and in very organized ways. One thing, because I, I never I never followed anybody's beadwork, one thing that I started doing was kind of letting the beads do what they wanted to do. In trying to achieve the stained glass look, I gave the beads a lot of freedom. I kind of corralled them into a spot and then said, okay, lay however you want. Some of them are sideways, some of them are upside down. 
whatever direction they want it. It's very difficult for some people to create that way because they want to control everything. And I was like, oh, they're not in control. And some of them you see through the holes and some of them you don't. And I allowed myself a great deal of freedom in that. And what I discovered with that freedom came reflection. So when you line up the bee in straight rows and back to back, what I call them soldier bees because they're lining up like little soldiers, does not allow the light to play with the bead and the personality of the bead to come out. In giving the beads their freedom, they now can reflect off the light in different directions. So when sunlight hits them, there's some beads that are reflecting in this direction and then the sun moves or the light moves and there's other beads reflecting in another direction. So it really creates that reflective quality that other bead projects don't have because they're so constrained and they're so controlled. And so at first it wasn't and it wasn't planned to have that. But now I know the personality of the beast and I can use that to my advantage. And I, I do. And I, you know, now it's purposeful. But in the beginning, it wasn't. And it was just kind of a result of this. And, you know, I also had to get away from the fear of the beads and their delicacy. So people think of beads as very delicate things. You know, we're taught when we're young and we see like Indian artifacts that have um, seed beads on them because this, you know, seed beads have been used for thousands of years in things that when we see them, they're, they're delicate and they're old and they're precious and you have to be careful with them. So at first I thought, I really need to protect the beads. I need to put epoxy or resin or something really thick on them so they don't fall off. And, and in my mind, it wasn't even a matter of, we'll just tell people not to touch them. That didn't even occur to me because I'm a touchy person. I want to touch art. Yeah. I'm, I'm the one sneaking with my finger behind me in the museum trying to touch something. <laughs> I, I'm just that way. Yeah. <laughs> And so I, it never, it never occurs they could be delicate where you couldn't touch them because what's the point if you can't touch them? So when I started, I was, you know, pouring resin and putting these thick things on them. But I quickly realized that that also inhibited the personality of the bead. And that if you bury it in something, the light can't reach it. It yeah. can't get to the silver lining. It can't, can't play with it. So I had to figure out ways to keep it strong, but also allow for that interaction of the environment with the piece. And I was able to do that. I mean, it was a lot of trial and error and a lot of experimentation with different types of glues and different types of top coats and things so that I could protect everything. Also keep the interaction, not just with the light, but with the person who is interacting with the piece. Well, it's interesting you t we're talking about touching the pieces because when I look at your work instinctually, I wish I could touch it. Even sitting looking at it on the computer screen, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I wish I could touch that. I bet it feels really cool. So, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, there's a texture. There's a, you know, you can tell yeah. that there's a texture to it. There's also, as you were talking about, letting the beads do their own thing and kind of fall somewhat organically on the piece. You've used that in your compositions, but you have also added some structure with the beads in order to define certain elements. 
and you yeah. have layers. And so it, your piece, it gives this realistic feel to your pieces, even though like I'm sitting here right now looking at your, one of your pieces you have for sale under the sea, which is an aquarium type of Uh piece. And as I'm looking at it, I've had fish for years. I've had aquariums for years. And I look at this and I'm intrigued by it because even though it's Uh almost like, looks like you're looking into an aquarium you can tell there's a somewhat of a abstract feel for how you've defined the fish and the the octopus and the coral and everything. You're not looking at something that is author of it was trying to complete it to look exactly lifelike, but yet it has this lifelike quality <laughs> and and it's that to me is what makes your work so intriguing it i just love it when you have people approach you and that have interest in buying your work or see it at a show what kind of reactions do you get do you get reactions similar to what i'm experiencing or what i mean what do people tell you that they think and feel when they look at your work so when I do shows, I learned really quickly when I started doing shows that I had to get people close. So many people would walk by and think they were painting. And and I and my first plan, I can remember sitting at my first show and I said, I've got to get these people to get close enough to see what they're looking at. Now have signs that say, go ahead and touch me. And it's tells people it's not, you know, we're so used to going to an art show and museum and being told, don't touch the art, don't touch the art. The go ahead and touch me is their permission. And people love that. I encourage the interaction right away. And then when they get close enough, and I love watching people when I go to shows, just, just watching them because their first thing is, oh my gosh, it's bees. You know, then they're kind of taken aback and they kind of don't want to touch because they think it's, it's delicate, but I've given them permission, so so they do. And and it's so freeing for them. And it, it just draws them in. And then they see what they're, you know, then they come into the booth and they're like, okay, now I have to look. Because we, we're so inundated, especially at an art show. You know, there's 150 artists around and your brain is on overload. In a lot of ways, you're seeing a lot of the same thing. You're seeing photographs and you're seeing paintings. And, um, but then, you know, you're looking for that nugget of something different. You know, I love that I make my work interactive, that I, it's sturdable, it's sturdy and durable enough for them to be able to touch it and interact with it. Yeah. You know, a lot, I, I've developed a lot of different techniques over the years. When I started, it was kind of a stained glass look. And I still do that sometimes, not as often. And a lot of that was just controlling the beads and kind of trying to figure this whole medium out. Um, But as I've progressed, I have kind of taken away the borders on a lot of newer pieces. In some cases, I use the beads like paint. A lot of my landscaping pieces are like that, where they have no nothing corralling them in, and, and I use them like a painter would use regular paint. And then in the animals, they're definite, the beads are definitely more controlled because I'm, I'm looking at the direction of the feathers, and, the, and they are intended to look more realistic than like the fish piece that you're 
That's a good point because I've noticed that with the birds, that the way that you lay the beads, and I don't know if it's on a piece of wood or what, what you've got them set on, if it's canvas or wood, but the way you lay them down does make a difference in, like what you said, they appear like feathers. And, and it's yeah. all about your placement and how you, you lay them down. And the type of bead that it is, you know, if it's a longer bead or if it's a smaller bead, that affects the the look and the texturing. Yeah, Yeah. and and then, you know, my, this year especially, I I really kind of got into the animals more than I had previously. I had done a few in the past, and then this year I kind of went in and made grizzly bears and uh, whales and all all different kinds of animals kind of went on the animals. Uh, and, and really had a lot, a lot of fun with it. You know, I, I want everybody to have that interaction. And like with the animals, I do get people that walk up and they just pet them, you know, and they just, <laughs> um, you know, they're like, wow, you know, it, it is, it looks like feathers and it, it's not quite, a, don't try to go the opposite direction, a little, you know, frizzly, but yeah, they, they're definitely um, much more realistic than some of the other styles, but you know, it's, it's kind of a technique. I, I play with different things. Most every piece, I'm trying something new with the beads. I'm trying a, a new gluing technique, a new way to make it look 3D, a, a new way to play with the lights, incorporating maybe handmade paper or um, other materials with it to try to get a certain effect. So that's, for me, a lot of that kind of that problem solving coming in and mm-hmm. all right, what can I do with this to make it go farther and to take me farther? And that's part of what keeps me interested in the beads is that I don't, one of the reasons I think I liked the beads in the beginning is because I didn't feel like I had competition. Like when you learn how to use oil paint, you're always comparing your oil paintings with the masters and everybody else in the world who does oils because there's a million people that do that. Sabrina, I want to take a minute and share some more information about you. You are located in Charlotte, North Carolina. If people are interested in seeing your art, they can go to Sabrina Fry art.com that's s-a-b-r-i-n-a-f-r-e-y art.com you have work for sale on your website you also are featured at idell fine gallery in naples florida lunds fine gallery in park city utah and smart nativities fine art in eastern pennsylvania it looks like you're going to be doing some shows in florida during the winter months you have a show in sarasota florida mid-february the 13th and 14th and then you're going to be in lover's key florida february 27th and 28th and you're also going to be in fort lauderdale during march the 6th and the 7th i want to point out that you do do local workshops at your studio and you have some openings for beginners and people who are more experienced in april may and june the cost is 300 dollars per person it includes lunch and i hear your husband is a great cook and that you also capable of catering in and then you require a 150 dollars deposit that's non-refundable 
there's only six spots available per workshop. So if people are interested in learning how to do what you do and learn from the best, they need to go ahead and schedule their workshop slot as soon as possible. And even though I know there are other beat artists and I know several of them um, and they have different styles and things than I do, I'm still, sometimes I'll take some of what I know that they do and incorporate it with the way I do it and then it's a completely same thing. And so that's kind of just part of my personality coming out is that experimentation. Yeah. How can I take this to the next level? <laughs> Well, it's that working, coloring outside of the lines type of thing you were talking about, you know, when you were referencing not not liking to cook because you don't like to have to follow a, a, a recipe. You're, you're, creating, yeah. you're creating your own recipe as you go along with your artwork. Yeah. How, how much time do you spend looking at when you get ready to do a piece, like, um, for instance, your eagles, how much time do you spend looking at photographs of eagles and pictures or what have you in order to determine what colors of beads you need to use and, and where you need to utilize the different colors in order to make it more realistic? Do you spend a lot of time doing research? I do. I'll usually, um, some of the bigger, more complex pieces like that, I'll have it in the head for a couple of months that I want to do it. And I'll be picking up little things around. I'll be looking at pictures on Pinterest. I'll be Googling things, um, you know, finding out their history, what they are, what they do, um, reading stories about them. Um, and then kind of I usually gather multiple pictures at different angles and different lighting situations. And and then kind of composite those together into whatever I'm, I'm doing. Um, and then, you know, with, with the beads, there are billions of possibilities because there are so many different kinds of beads made and different colors and different styles. But with the, the Google beads, which are the long ones that I use for the feathers and the animals and stuff, those are more limited. There, there aren't quite as many choices out there. So... The challenge for me comes in that in blending what I have to make what I need because it's not available. Yeah. So I'm like with the eagle, the brown feathers are actually like six or seven different shaped brown finishes on them and they're different colors. But when you look at them from far away, they just look brown. But when you get up close, you see there's bronze and there's dark brown and there's medium brown and satin brown. And um, even the whites, I usually have six or seven different shades of white in there to kind of give it that depth and that reflection. And I'll use twisted beads and straight ones so that when they hit the light, they're reflecting. Like on an animal, when you look at a, a raven, you know, they have that purple color when they turn in the light and their feathers are not. They're black, but they're kind of not. <laughs> they have um, green, so and but they have green and that. blue and purple in their feathers. It's, yeah. yeah, it's not, you're right, it's not yeah. all black. I look at those things and say, okay, well now, how, 
I can achieve that look, but I'm going to have to do these mixes and blends. How do you go about making the decision on the way you want to, I call it framing of the piece, but I don't mean framing as in a border frame. I mean, framing as in like when you would take a photograph, if you're close up on it versus being further back, how how do you make your decision for that? Because I've noticed some of your pieces, you're fairly close up on the animals or you have like just a, a portion of the animal shown in uh-huh. the picture versus the entire animal. How, how do you make your decisions about that? Are you looking for a, are you looking for like a balance or are you just, that's what's intriguing to you and that's therefore how it, how you visualize your composition? How, how do you go about that? Um, well, a big part of it is the scale of the beat. So because, um, especially with animals, the beads, I can only get, you know, they're only in certain sizes. I can only get certain sizes. Yeah. And so especially with, like, the feathers and things, if, if I go too small, I can't create it the way I want to because the beads would be too large. So unlike a pencil where I can make the length any length I want or thickness I want, I can't do that with beads. I have to work within the parameter of the beads. So I need to make it as large or small as I can based on the the type of beads I'm going to use. So that dictates a lot for me. Um, You know, some birds, if I want to get their feathers to really see them, I have to get really, I have to bring them really close up um, in order to be able to show all of those feathers and, and kind of get that detail in there. Horses are something that I kind of struggle with. I've been working, I've done a few of them and I've been working on some, but their hair is so fine. Yeah. And unless I get really close, I can't really use the bugles to create the fur because they're so smooth. But yet, using a round bead doesn't give the same effect. You know, it, that's kind of a, a, a big dictator for me is, is what what am I gonna, what beads am I going to use and that's going to kind of scale it up or down and, and what I'm capable of doing with it. That's a really good um, clarification because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of that. I wouldn't have thought that that would affect it, but you're right. The The size of the bead and what it looks like. I don't know how to say this, Sabrina, but I, I understand. <laughs> I understand what you're, what you're saying. I'm sitting here now looking at your landscape pieces and I am absolutely in love with the white tree trunks on some of your, okay. your yeah. pieces. That's a really neat idea because it gives you the contrast in the piece. It really, it really makes the pieces pop. Uh, I took architecture classes in school, and and they used to tell us don't kill the white space when we would do our renderings. <laughs> 
whatever oh, yeah. whatever you do don't, yeah whatever you do don't kill the white space and that's that's what I was thinking when I saw this uh, when I was looking at it I thought she she found her white space she found it in in her in her white trees was that something you were thinking about or were you just after a, an effect because these are wintertime pieces what what was your thought behind these well I think instinctively because of my architecture training and background and teaching background Uh I kind of do it instinctively I grew up in Colorado and I love aspens yeah Um, and so that was when I started doing landscape um aspens were kind of the first thing I thought of that you're right that that white space is is such an anchor for those pieces and it really draws people in. You know, it, it, they're, they're a favorite of mine and, and, and a favorite of everybody. I mean, the, the winter scene with the Aspens is my people love it. And I've sold many, many versions of that. I don't know. I think there's, there's kind of a nostalgia with it. I know for me it's a nostalgia, but when I go to shows, people also associate, especially those trees, with good memories. Yeah. Um, they're either vacation memories of being out west or growing up up north. Whenever I go to Florida, I sell all the winter aspen seeds or birches, depending on where you're from. They're either birch trees or aspen trees. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it's really interesting to me that people have a very emotional tie to those. And not just myself, but, you know, a lot of people are the same way. So I, I really enjoy kind of playing with them. And plus, they're so colorful. I can do all four seasons, and they have a huge personality about them um, in all seasons. And and they're so vibrant. So I, I really enjoy doing those. And uh, But there's definitely something I, I worked for and intentionally, you know, I watched tons of videos and watched other artists, you know, how are they depicting these and, and bringing out the personality in them and how can I replicate that with beads and not a paintbrush. But they are painted. I, what I use for the trees is actually acetate, yeah. which is, it comes in sheets. It just comes in white sheets and I cut them and paint each one to look like the tree. But it's such an anchor because it is solid amongst all of these beads which are kind of the broken up part of it. Yeah. And it and a lot of you know, when you look at it, depending on how you look at it, sometimes it looks like it, it come forward and sometimes they're like recessed back. Um, it's kind of an optical illusion. That's really interesting that you said that, but yeah, there is an optical illusion to it because you're right, in on some pieces they really pop in the foreground. And it looks like you're looking into the woods. Let's talk a little bit about some of your pieces that have that more abstract stained glass feel to them. Uh You know, you talked about when you first got into this, you were trying to figure out how to, how to do something like stained glass. Um, Uh And, and you still, some of the pieces that you have on your website, similar in many ways to stained glass. Really close to stained glass in the way you've put the patterns together. And others are almost an abstract 
design, but yet have a stained glass feel to them. Mm-hmm. Um, what pops out at me when I look at these pieces are the colors and the combinations of the colors. And that's typically what I would think about when I was think when I would be thinking about stained glass would be yeah. the color and the color combinations. How do you go about laying out your pattern for these and deciding on your colors? What what's what what do you what's going on in your head? What's your driver for some of these pieces? My my abstracts are um, they're my departure. <laughs> like, yeah. um, I mean, I love I love nature and love and that's kind of my natural go to. But sometimes I just need to get up, get out of that headspace. Yeah. Um, and so the abstracts are a great way for me to kind of clear that out. Um, but then they're also inspired by a lot of different things. Um, you know, the one thing that I really enjoyed about these bees when I started and kind of going for that stained glass look is that I love stained glass, but I hate covering up windows. To me, it's, I love the view. I mean, I don't even like having screens in my window because they obstruct the view. And so stained glass has a disadvantage. Sometimes it's an advantage if you want to block a bad view, but usually you're covering up a window where you could be seen outside. And so I love that these are all done on solids, and I have done some on glass before, and people ask me all the time, oh, do you do my glass? Yes, I do, but they look different. They Because they're not a solid surface or a solid piece of glass, when you put them in the sun, when they're done on glass, they, they break up a little bit. They're more pixelated. So by doing them on a board, you get the stained glass look without having to cover the window. So I really loved that. And having the beads in different directions gives them the reflective quality of stained glass if you put them in direct light. Again, you're not covering up the glass. I can mix whatever colors I want. So where a stained glass artist has to find that right piece of glass to cut for that right spot, I can blend my beads. And when you pull away, it looks cohesive in a lot of ways. The color does. It's not, you know, it's, it's kind of um, pointillism or, um, you know, a newspaper picture. You know, if you get a magnifying glass and look at a close-up of a newspaper picture, it's just made up of a bunch of pixels. Yes. But when you look at it from far away, it's a solid, cohesive image, and, and the beads act exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I get inspired by a lot of different things. I have um, I did several pieces that were inspired from a trip to Vegas. There's a piece called Aria's Wave, which is a black and white piece, and that was inspired by the granite fountain in front of the Aria Hotel in Las Vegas. And I just sat and watched it, and it was this fascinating fountain, granite wall, where they the water just fell in front of the wall, but they would turn the water off intermittently. So it would dry up and then they would turn the water on and it would start again and then they would turn it off. But it was creating these beautiful patterns on the wall. And so I stood in front of the hotel and just took pictures of random patterns. And then I came home and I laid those patterns on top of each other and created this 
you know, really interesting interplay of black and white, which was representing the granite in the water, but every set of lines represented a different pattern that the water created. I can get inspiration from anything. I mean, I, the, the, there's two of them that have beetles' names. One is uh, Strawberry Fields, and the other is um, Here Comes the Sun. Mm-hmm. And those, I was inspired at the Beatles Cirque du Soleil show. I, I was watching it, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's it's like being on a drug trip for two hours with the Beatles. <laughs> um, it's, it's quite an experience. Some people, it's a little too much. But I walked out of there so inspired. Like, I walked out of the show, and I was like, I have to get my sketchbook, which I take with me everywhere when I travel. And I just was sketching like crazy. I was like, I've got to get these down. And so... So, yeah, so it can come from anything. Yeah. um, And and abstracts, they're just just fun and really a departure from from my norm. You know, a lot of people look like, well, I didn't even know you did this kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, I don't know where it's going to come from, but it'll show up someday. I like your um, season swirl piece because when I first look at it, I honestly felt like, Leaves, leaves blowing in the wind. But you can tell uh-huh. from the way that you've combined the colors that you're going from the cold white of winter to spring to summer to fall. If you follow it around, you know, uh, counterclockwise yeah. in, in the circle or clockwise in a circle, you can see as the seasons change, your color your color patterns change. But yet the way each element is laid out it almost looks like leaves so or maybe that's what you meant it to look like was leaves Uh, but i i i love it because you've got this concept of the seasons and then you've got the color palette of the seasons but then you've laid it out in this abstract pattern and it's really neat looking so I, i yeah i i'm very intrigued by how you see the world around you and then you translate what you're seeing into your artwork. I mean, I'm a, I'm a nature lover, and I love all the seasons. And, um, you know, I grew up with four very defined seasons growing up in Colorado. And then I lived in Florida for 13 years. And um, <laughs> No seasons. And was, <laughs> well, uh, wet season like and dry stuck. season. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like I was in one season for 13 years and I hated it I just I oh it was horrible to me and and so I I really ever since then I I love to celebrate all the seasons and and that's why you see so much of that in my work and and I have so many variations of the four seasons yeah um you know I have them separated but then I have them together in all kinds of different ways and different trees and different scenarios um, because I love celebrating them all. And I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like you just need them all. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they all have their good points and, and, um, and their own beauty. And so, um, and the elements are the same way you see elements are all over my work. Um, you know, the wind and the water and the fire and earth, because it's such a part of us. It's such a part of, 
to me, everything that's beautiful and, you know, everything that God created is, is based on that. And yeah. so I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to, to depict all of those together and the fact that there's this harmony in all of them. You know, if, if we had too much of one thing, too much winter or too much summer or too much wind or too much rain, then it's, it's all out of balance. And so they, they all kind of need to be celebrated equally. So mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of that. And, and sometimes I'll just, you know, tell myself, okay, I, I want to do an elements piece. I, I don't really know what I want to do, but we're going to do something different and make these four things work. And, and then I'll just do them. But, so one of your pieces that you have on your website that is different is your faith trumps fear piece. Uh -huh. Faith trumps fear. Yeah. Faith trumps fear. And it's not nature driven to me when I look at it. It doesn't mm -hmm. seem, it doesn't seem elemental. It just seems like it's a statement piece. What, what is yeah. yeah what are your what were you thinking when you put this piece together the story on that piece is that um there was a time my son my youngest son was probably about 11 years old and he was going through this kind of fearful phase he was um he was struggling at school and and dealing with a lot of fear elements um and so i had i did a watercolor for him that's almost identical to the bead painting, but it's a little bit different. But um, to remind him that if you have faith, that it will always conquer the fear. And um, so, you know, it's, it's, I call it faith trumps fear, and it has nothing to do with politics. It, yeah. You know, it was, when the first elections came up, the next elections, and everybody was. But it's, it's really about, you know, the, the quenching waters of faith dousing the fires of fear and um and so i i did this watercolor painting for him and i gave it to him and, and he still has it sitting in his room and, and he's 19 now and in the air force but um you know it's it's just that reminder that it, you know if your faith is strong enough you can overcome any fear that you have and so when i was doing when i when I needed inspiration for a bead project, I, I kind of had run out of ideas and I was like, okay, I need to do something. I thought to recreate that painting that I did for him in beads. And I love the idea of the brilliance of the beads and, and you know, kind of depicting that, that painting that I did. And then I was able to make it 3D. So the flames of, of all of it, um, the background is about a quarter of an inch below the, the flames and everything are sticking up about a quarter of an inch off the canvas. It was kind of another challenge, like how can I, how can I pull this off and, and make it a 3D piece rather than this flat painting that it started with? Um, yeah. That's a really cool concept. I, I'm curious how much of your spiritual beliefs come through in your pieces can you see that connection um, for yourself i do in the in the nature aspect of it because my my first 
love is is the beauty of nature and yeah. and my belief that you know God created all of this and this incredible beauty that we have and not that there's not man-made beauty I mean having been in the architectural world I, I love architecture and that's man-made beauty and, and things but you know I come from growing up in the mountains and 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 loving the, that first and so um, you know a lot of pretty much all of my nature pieces are kind of a tribute to that and my reminder that okay I am never going to be able to recreate what he has created but I'm, I'm gonna do my part to represent that and one thing I love about the beads is that they kind of represent the DNA of every piece you know it's like people were we are all made up of these different experiences but when someone looks at it they see the solid image and but it's we're all different parts and we're all different pieces and and nature is too you know it's, it's all parts and pieces of things that make up this this composition and so the beads act that way for me is, is they're the DNA of of whatever I'm creating and um and so many of my pieces you know I I go through the process and it takes weeks and sometimes months to create certain pieces and I don't see them whole like I see them in in as bits and pieces I see the the little infinitesimal details that I'm doing with these beads and then it's really interesting to me because I will sit back sometimes and be like, I have no idea where this came from. It, I just, I just did it. And, and I always think, okay, that's divine inspiration because I don't know where that came from. Yeah. But it'll take me a while to actually see the image whole. And it's funny because I take um, some of the pieces that need to be framed. When I get to my framers, it's, it's really interesting because they, they always laugh at me. I'll, I'll take it and I set it up on the easel and they start bringing out different samples and stuff. And that's usually when I really see it as a whole image and I, I stand back and I look at it and I'm like, wow, that's really incredible. But I didn't see that before. I didn't see it when I was making it. I didn't see it when I photographed it, when I was done with it until I disconnect myself from it. And then I'm like, wow, how did I do that? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did it, but I kind of questioned myself at the same time. I'm like, holy moly, that's really cool. <laughs> you were, you were so focused in on executing it. You didn't realize yeah. what you were, what you were actually coming up with. That's really funny. Yeah. But yeah, I can yeah, see that. That happens a lot. Yeah. Um, You've entered a lot of different competitions and your art has been featured in um, different shows and in different ways. You've done so much in the past few years that you have been, as you move forward, what, what are your plans? Are you wanting to do competitive type uh, stuff or do you feel like okay I've, I've been there done that it changes every year so I I was pretty much doing this kind of part time I guess half full time 
Um, a year and a half ago, July of uh, 19, I quit teaching because I was a professor at the university. And um, I was fortunate enough that the, my last three years of teaching, they allowed me to do this with my creative scholarship. Okay. And I, I had a department head who was incredibly supportive. And she, you know, when they asked me if I wanted a job, I said, yes, but I have to, I have to still do my art. I'm, I'm going to pursue this. And she was super supportive and said, absolutely, we'll, we'll incorporate it into your, you know, academic and your creative scholarship. And, um, and of course, neither one of us at the time thought that it would actually take over and get me out of teaching, um, which I, I loved. I loved teaching. And, um, but this kind of took it over. So I've explored different ways to get my art out there and in front of people. Um, and I'm, I've done, I have to say that sending them to exhibits is not very gratifying. And I guess because I'm not there to see people's reactions. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, I get so much satisfaction of just watching people interact with it. And when you send it away, you you don't get to see that. You kind of miss out on that. And you wonder, like, how people really saw this? And so I, I really enjoy doing the shows, but they're exhausting as well because you have to travel and pack things up and unpack things and you talk to thousands and thousands of people a day. And um, so they're they're good and bad. Um, I would like, and I'm hoping this year to get started on working on a series for exhibition. So I want to create some very large pieces, which I haven't done. The largest piece I've ever created was three foot by four foot. And I would like to go like six feet, you know, and, and do some big pieces. Yeah. Um, which I, I haven't really been able to do. Hopefully that's having the space in the studio, but also in line of that was I was so focused on getting my business going and, and you know, this is, it is a business now because I'm supporting myself with this. I, I put a lot of time and effort into that. So this year I feel like I've kind of got that going and, and I'm, I'm doing that well and, and I can continue with that. But I want to create some really big pieces and then work with getting them exhibited, um, traveling, having them travel. And um, so pushing myself to get out of my comfort zone and go large, but then also being able to have it travel and, and go to different places and, and have people kind of be exposed to my work on a bigger level than just sending one piece here and there and kind of not knowing what, what's going on with it. So, Do you um, feel like my plans doing the exhibition pieces is going to be be the route that you need to go to get that greater level of exposure. I'm just kind of curious about for this particular type of artwork, because it's so unusual. And like you said, there is a tactile element to it. If the way you need to go about marketing it is, is somewhat different than you would go about marketing, say a, uh, an oil painting or what have you? I think it, I have, I think I've come to that realization um, because I feel like when 
there's only one small piece, say, at an ex exhibition of 100, 100 pieces. It's very easy for it to get lost, uh, for people to walk by it and assume what it is and say, oh, that's nice, and then they just keep going. Um, whereas if I could do an exhibition where there's you know, five or six large pieces, then it will, it will bring them in enough to say, wow, what is that? And to see the possibilities of it. So going small is easier to sell because, you know, the average person can put it in their house and, and they can fit and things. But it, it's, it doesn't kind of show them the possibilities of what's, what's possible to do with the beads and in a big way. Um, so I'd like them to be, to incorporate the animals and the landscape together and maybe, you know, something with national parks or, or, um, you know, something where we can kind of celebrate nature and, and, you know, do that. But, um, I think doing it as an exhibition where a whole room is just the beadwork is going to get more exposure to the medium as well. Not just myself, but using beads in a, in a completely different way. Yeah. COVID affected so many things last year other than making us stay home, which for me was a good thing because I was able to focus on my work. But the availability of materials, you know, most of my beads come from Czechoslovakia and uh, different parts of the world. And so when they were not producing, suppliers were not receiving. And so limited materials, you know, it's, it trickles for everything. And in the bead world, we have definitely been affected by the available materials now. So yeah. uh, that kind of helps kind of dictate what I'm going to be able to do as well. It's like, what, what can I get my hands up? And I buy in huge bulk quantities. Um, you know, I don't go to retail stores anymore because the quantities are so small that, you know, one of the little tubes that they sell at a store gives me like three inches worth of a picture. So, <laughs> and it to, probably <laughs> costs more if you do it retail versus buying yeah. bulk. So you're able yeah. to get more bang for your buck. Well, when you Absolutely. were talking, yeah, when you were talking about how COVID has affected things, I know that you do workshops and that you offer mm -hmm. lessons. What are you doing right now at the moment with with the workshops and the lessons? Are you doing everything online? Are you doing, um, you know, FaceTime with people or WebEx or Zoom? How, how are you going about that? So I've, um, I've always kind of done two. I do online lessons um, that I just chose by the hour. And um, that's, you know, I can start with the beginner old some people who have been doing different types of work want to just buy an hour of my time and ask me a lot of questions because um, they've seen um, my videos. And, and I, I have a YouTube channel where I have tutorial videos on how I do my work. Mm -hmm. um, and I, 
I did that in response to getting so many questions about, well, how do you do that? And, you know, I'd like to try it. So, and so coming from academia, I'm all about sharing education and, and you know, I, I mean, just let them know. You know? It's just, yeah. I don't, I, I don't believe in keeping anything you do a secret because why not share it with the world? So, um, so I started a YouTube channel and there's, there's a bunch of videos on there, um, how to do it. But a lot of people still want either the hands-on experience with the workshops or the, or just to ask me questions and pick my brain. And, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> Either way, um, the workshops I am still doing, they are very small. So even with COVID, um, we did, I did take a break for several months, but started again in September and only have five to six people in the workshops. So I, I keep them very intimate and they're kind of an all day experience. We, um, and then my husband cooks an incredible gourmet lunch for everybody. So we play beads and then we eat lunch and then we play beads more. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it's a good time. It's, and, and my you're making me hungry. You're making me hungry and wanting to come see you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have, you know, it's funny because I have several people that did the beginner's class and then they came back for the advanced class. And, and they said, well, you know, the only reason we're here is because of the dogs and the food. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> if you want to play these in between, I'm fine with that, too. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. So, um, you know, it, it's it's very laid back. And I, I have a set kind of program to teach you certain techniques. But it's, it's very much, you know, what do you want to create? Um, we do like an eight by ten piece, and then you can take it home at the end of the day. Um, you know, if you don't finish, I'll give you the beads to finish it at home. And, um, so it, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and um, like I said, because it's a small group, I really get to know everybody, and everybody gets to know each other, and, and we just we just work, and I just kind of teach them how easy it is. Okay. I mean, I, I think it's easy. I guess I've been doing it a long time. That's a that's a really good point because I can see that a lot of people who have worked with beads for a lot of years and that's their love, that's their joy. Mm-hmm. When it when it comes to a point that they can't anymore, you're right. What you're doing is you're offering them an alternative, and I can see why they yeah. would want to take the class and learn how to do this. Yeah. So I've got. Um three schedules here in my studio, um, which is April 3rd, May 8th, I believe, and then I think June 5th. It's the first Saturday in April, May, June. Okay. So I've got those scheduled here, but then I also have one scheduled. I am going to be up north. I have a show in Maryland and in Virginia in April, the end of April. Um, and I have a gallery in Eastern, Eastern Pennsylvania that carries my work. And they also, it's, it's a place called Smartivities where they do um, different types of arts, art things. And they, they sell art supplies. They have a fine art gallery. And then they also teach um, classes and stuff. Yeah. So I'm actually going to be doing one of my workshops there in Pennsylvania at the end of April. 
which is nice because I have a lot of people that ask me, you know, about Charlotte's kind of a far away, kind of far away for some people. So, um, yeah, so I have the Houston, Pennsylvania workshop coming up as well, and I'm just going to bring all my stuff with all the materials with me up there. But it sounds like they need to just uh, come by your studio and sign up for a class. At Freedom Park and the in the Sugar Creek Greenway. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting here when you were talking and I was looking around. I'm sitting in my kitchen and I was looking around and I'm like, hmm, I could put beads on that. Hmm. Oh, you better watch out. It's really addictive. Yeah. Um, I did see, and it just reminds me, one girl on my bead mosaic site did a scene in a rear view mirror and it oh. was so creative because she had this old rear view mirror or something and she just put the she did like a like she was looking in a rear view mirror but she did a little scene in beads and had it in the, the mirror and I thought that was the cleverest thing I'm like oh my gosh that is so cute that's really it looks like you're looking in a rear view mirror that is really a neat idea. I like that. Yeah, that was, that was really cool. I said, if I understand you those laying around, like, I haven't had the chance to do that. But And there's a guy that I follow on Instagram. I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. I think it's Steve something. He does guitars. He, he puts the beads on guitars, and people pay a ton of money for him to, to do their guitar and, and just really beautiful beautiful guitars and yeah so getting whatever you want getting getting your guitar beaded up is a thing yeah <laughs> it, it never knows it's, it's really incredible work on the, those guitars and I was like wow I don't know and there's, there's a few artists in New Orleans that use only Mardi Gras beads for their work and um, and so those are there's, I think there's two or three artists that, that do some really neat work and they, they only use Mardi Gras beads. And those are a little different. They're, they're tougher because most of them are made out of plastic and I only use glass on mine. Yeah. Um, and they're perfectly round. So they're harder to glue down because they don't have a flat surface. Yeah. And they're also strung together. So that's a, a, an additional challenge is they're not loose. They're always attached to each other unless you cut them apart individually. So, um, you know, there's, there's some things you can do to be clever. <laughs> well, you have, you have completely inspired me and, um, uh, just with your creativity and the, and the ideas that you've come up with. And I hope that you're inspiring our listeners to stretch the boundaries when it comes to art and finding their own creative path. Yeah. 
you know, you you, you found yeah. you you found you really, in a way, created a new uh, medium of art just by being willing to kind of step outside of the box and and do something a little bit different. And so I, I hope that everyone listening gets inspired and and finds their own their own creative path and is willing to take that leap of faith and and do something a little bit different, a little bit new. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Thanks for having me and and, and liking my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I really appreciate you being on the podcast today, Sabrina. It's been a joy getting an opportunity to talk to you about your artwork. You do beautiful art. Thank you. Thanks. For more information about this podcast and our guests, you can go to BeInspiredPC.com. Check out our online magazine, Be Inspired. Like our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram and listen to our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Google Play.